Welcome to the podcast filled with his love. I'm Russ Osgathorpe, the host. So one of the unique characteristics of the restored Church of Jesus Christ is that we have living prophets, seers, and revelators. We sustain these every general conference. I remember as a mission president, I attended a lesson one time where a woman had invited the missionaries to return to teach her, but she she really did not, let me convince you, did not want to be taught. No sooner had we begun talking about the restoration, then she interrupted and exclaimed, Hey, wait, listen, you guys, the Bible is very clear. After Jesus Christ died, we no longer needed prophets. Prophets were for the purpose of teaching about how Christ would come to earth. And after he came, the role of prophets ended. That's what the Bible says. She had her mind made up, and she wanted to correct the mistaken notions that these young missionaries were trying to teach. If I were to ask most members of the church why prophets are necessary in every dispensation, just like they are today, they would likely say something like, well, we need them to teach us. We need them to guide us to reveal the will of the Lord when, you know, for our day, for our time. And that is certainly one reason, but I've been thinking about something else recently. I don't believe it's the only reason. Another reason is we need prophets and apostles to show us how ordinary people can do extraordinary things with the help of the Lord. We can learn not only from their sermons, but from the way they live their lives. Their example is as important, I believe, as their words. In fact, I believe that their perfectly worded talks, and sometimes we look at them and say, how can you construct talks so beautifully and so perfectly. Their perfectly worded talks are more compelling because they are imperfect beings. They are like us. They are looking forward to perfection, but they haven't yet experienced it. When I was serving as Sunday School General President, I worked closely with general authorities and other general officers of the church. I saw them in all types of situations. I saw them in small meetings, large meetings, one-on-one, celebrations, receptions, and so on. All kinds of different settings. I've seen them in moments of frustration, disappointment, as well as moments of real rejoicing. They are human, and each one is unique. Their uniqueness is a powerful reminder that our uniqueness is okay. It's all right for us to each be unique. The Lord loves each one of us, not in spite of our distinctive personality, but because of it. When I began my service as an Area 70, then-Elder Boyd K. Packer addressed us. It was a memorable meeting in Salt Lake. Uh, I was nervous. I was nervous because of the calling I'd received, wondering whether or not I could actually fulfill such a calling. He began by saying something like the following. Some of you might be wondering how you can measure up to the calling you've just received. I was wondering this. And some might be thinking you need to change your personality in some way to be in Area 70. I want to assure you that your calling came because of who you are. We don't want you to change. We want the unique talents and skills you can bring to the kingdom. His words were so reassuring because he was right. I was exactly at that moment sitting there thinking I could never measure up to that calling.
He was helping us see that the Lord knew we were imperfect, and yet we were still called, and that those imperfections would benefit those we served. Our imperfections would make us easier to relate to. And since I had plenty of imperfections, I thought they'll have a very easy time relating to me. So some of the brethren have given us glimpses into their own struggles. They all have their own imperfections. I remember President Hinckley's pain when his wife, Marjorie Pay Hinckley, passed away. He spoke to the whole world. He spoke in conference about this. These are his words. There is a consuming loneliness which increases in intensity and painfully gnaws at one's very soul. Now, what could be a stronger statement than that about the pain, the emotional pain he was experiencing? But then he went on. But in the quiet of the night, a silent whisper is heard that says, All is well, all is well. And that voice from out of the unknown brings peace, certainty, and unwavering assurance that death is not the end and life goes on. There's work to do and victories to be gained. I knew President and Sister Hinckley as a young man, as a boy, a child, and throughout my young adult life. And so I could feel his emotional pain when he expressed it. I knew firsthand the kind of relationship he he and his departed wife, Marjorie, had. I saw it as a young boy on a daily basis. On another occasion, I was attending his grandchild's wedding reception, and he motioned for me to come over to his table. He didn't have his usual uplifting smile on his face. He looked kind of sad. And then he grabbed my hand, and he said, Russell... Last night, my brother Sherm passed away. Again, I could feel the sadness in his voice. Prophets mourn the loss of loved ones, as we all do. For me personally, President Hinckley's humanness adds to the power of his prophetic teachings. Likewise, President Russell M. Nelson shared the grief he felt after two unsuccessful surgeries— He said, I went home grief-stricken. You'll remember this. He had to operate on two different young girls, and both of them died. He says, I went home grief-stricken. I threw myself upon our living room floor and cried all night long. Dancel stayed by my side, listening as I repeatedly declared that I would never perform another heart operation. Then around five in the morning, Dancel looked at me and lovingly asked, Are you finished crying? Then get dressed. Go back to the lab. Go to work. You need to learn more. If you quit now, others will have to painfully learn what you already know. This is such a powerful scene in so many ways. Because like President Hinckley, he showed how debilitating grief can be. It basically caused him to throw himself on the floor and keep crying continually. But he also gave us a glimpse into the relationship he had with his wife, Dansel. Even in a moment of grief and difficulty, when he might have become defensive or whatever, he he accepted her counsel and returned to work. 
Another example, while, while speaking of emotional illness, Elder Holland shared his own battle with depression. He said, quote, I once terrifyingly saw depression in myself. At one point in our married life, when financial fears collided with staggering fatigue, I took a psychic blow that was as unanticipated as it was real. With the grace of God and the love of my family, I kept functioning and kept working. But even after all these years, I continue to feel a deep sympathy for others more chronically or more deeply afflicted with such gloom than I was. Elder Holland's own struggle with depression makes it easier for others who have suffered from the illness. Some might say, if he could recover from it, so can I. Likewise, we might look at President Nelson's or President Hinckley's experience with grief and say, if they can get over their grief, so can I. Their willingness to share their personal challenges with a worldwide audience makes their example even more compelling. I am personally so grateful for living witnesses, and I am as grateful for their humanness, their weaknesses, as I am for their spiritual strengths. They show us with their lives that whatever imperfections we might have, God can help us move forward. Imperfections and weaknesses need not paralyze us into inaction. The Lord is always eager to give us the strength we need to carry on. I know that. I hope you do too. And I look forward to seeing you next time.